as we exalt the majesty of our King Christ Jesus. If you would, please pray with me this morning. Oh Lord, hallelujah. Salvation and glory. Honor and power. Lord, it all belongs to you. Oh, Lord, our God, the only reason we are even here today is because of you. Father, the only reason that we can even lift holy hands and shout hallelujah is because of your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. Father, it is only because of your provision and your protection that we can stand right now justified because of the blood of Jesus. Father, we're justified, we're being sanctified, and Father, if we truly know you, we are satisfied that we will be glorified. Father, you are good to us, you are faithful towards us, and for that this morning we say thank you. Thank you, kind Father, how you kept us yet uh, another week, and you brought us through another week's journey. Father, even in the midst of uh, the difficulties and the challenges that we are faced, Lord, your, your, your word reminds me that you're still good. And your word reminds me that you're still faithful. And your word reminds me that you're still blessing and you're still saving, you're still keeping, and you're still in charge, and you're still worthy of our worship, dear God. And for that, we say thank you once again. Now, kind Father, as we prepare to enter into the preaching moment, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh upon us. May you be in this place. May your Shekinah glory shine brightly. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Please give us hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness. And Father, right now, for the one who is discouraged, for the one who is down, for the one who has just been having a hard time, Father, may you remind us of your truth and your promises that your grace is sufficient and that we all, all we need to do is to cast our cares upon you because you're faithful. Father, you said your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So, Lord, I, I help us to be mindful of all of these glorious promises. May we stand on your word this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would please give me precision and clarity of speech. Use my foolish and weak words to make much of Jesus Christ today. Hide me behind thy cross. The words of my mouth. Meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For your glory, for your honor, for your name's sake, we do pray. In Jesus' matchless and mighty name, we do pray, and all the God's people said together, amen. Amen, amen. So as we prepare uh, once again for worship, just a quick reminder uh, at the end of worship service, you will be dismissed by rows, so feel free just to wait uh, after we, are, uh, we have concluded our worship service, and you will be dismissed by your rows. But then also, uh, on today, the, our, our plan is to partake in, in communion with one another. Uh, you were uh, supposed to uh, have received those elements at the screening station. So if you do not have uh, the elements for communion, 
uh, they are uh, at the screening station. Maybe someone perhaps can uh, bring a few in just in case, but just to let you know uh, of our plans for today's worship. Uh, but without any further ado, let us dig into God's Word, and I ask that you would please open up your Bibles or, or turn, uh, turn on in your device and uh, turn with me to Amos, the uh, ninth chapter. Amos, the ninth chapter, as we conclude our series, No Justice, No Judgment. No Justice, N-O, Justice. No judgment. And what God is teaching us through the book of Amos is that when God's people hinder, prohibit, and misuse social justice, that God will bring judgment because of that sin. That because of God's heart for people, he wants justice to roll down like flowing streams of water. And he wants to use his people as the means to manifest this justice, this care, this compassion and kindness. God wants us to know this. And as we've been going through our study, we see that Israel has been found guilty for, for ruling and living with injustice. Israel has been found guilty of prioritizing profit, pleasure, and prosperity over people. Israel has been found guilty of inauthentic worship, corruption, extortion, and greed. Israel has been found guilty of blending in with the surrounding nations and behaving just like the pagans those who have not received his revelation. And it is Israel's uh, scandalous sin that has brought dishonor to the name of the Lord. It's, it's all in the text. And the prophet Amos, he is, he is declaring to Israel that dark days are coming. And that the dark days of judgment are ahead for Israel, the due penalty of their sin. Yet God in his extraordinary mercy, kindness, and compassion, even in spite of themselves, beloved, we have an in spite of God, that in spite of my sin, in spite of your sin, in spite of my disobedience, in spite of your disobedience, in spite of my rebellion, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of the fact that there are many days we wake up in the Lord and he's not the first thing on our mind. In spite of the fact that we like to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do. In spite of the fact that we live in a chaotic and sinful and a sin-sick world. In spite of all that, we still have a God who loves us enough to love us in spite of ourselves. Could you bring me down a little bit? And he is still extending compassion and hope to his people, even through a word of encouragement on today. So Amos, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 11, and the word of God reads, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. 
and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. May the Lord bless you to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon this morning's text. God's promise for a hope restored. God's promise for a hope restored. When we think about restoration, it's easy to think about those home restoration uh, television shows that that come on and and show us how a person that is passionate about uh, restoring homes, how they how they come in and they find a home with, with, with a beautiful structure that has, uh, that, that, that's beauties has been diminished by the sands of time. It is, it is in the, the former glory of itself because after so much time, after a lack of care, after a lack, a lack of upkeep, these, these, these beautiful homes have gone into disrepair, but there's usually someone who sees beyond the outside. There's usually someone who sees beyond the rust, who sees beyond the overgrowth, who sees underneath uh, the, the, the structure of these buildings and how beautiful they really are and understands they, they, they just need someone to give a little love and care in order to bring out the glory of these homes. And they usually go through a similar process as they're restoring these homes. They go through a, a design phase for what they plan on doing to these homes. They, they do the research to, to dig back in time to, to find out how this home used to look and what parts were authentic and, and where to get those things from. And they put together a design specification. And then they get with the team and they begin to look over the design specification and, and what pieces were authentic to this home. And they begin to take out those things that are in disrepair. They begin to take out sinks that don't work. They begin to remove doorknobs and light fixtures that don't quite work. They begin to tear up floors that are too, uh, too decayed to, to walk on. And they begin to strip this home of everything that was previously in there in order for the restoration process to begin. But once everything has been stripped out, they begin the process of rebuilding. And they put everything just in its appropriate place based upon their research, based upon the design specs. And at the end of the show, they do the big reveal, and they show how this dark, dilapidated home is transformed into something beautiful and marvelous. And beloved, when we think about what God is doing in and through our own lives, disciples of Jesus are in the midst of a divine restoration project. Because God, he is taking people who are broke down, 
people who are dilapidated, people who are stained because of their sinfulness. He is taking people that on the outside, they don't look like they have much to offer. But beloved, I don't know about you. I'm so glad that God looked a whole lot deeper on what was on my outside to determine whether he was going to work on me or not. Because God looked past my outside and he says, because of who I am, I'm going to rebuild and restore and bring about a glory. Because of my hand and because of my desires. And what God is doing in his people, beloved, I can't speak about everybody, but I can only talk about God's children and the people that, who have repented and trusted in Jesus for salvation. God has a restoration plan and project he has for you, and he is working it right now because instead of being restored to our original specifications of the first Adam, God is actually restoring us to the specifications, the exact specifications of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. How do I know? that where the scriptures reveal that. In Romans the 8th chapter, verses 29 and 30, uh, Paul tells us that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Beloved, God has a restoration pro- uh, project for those who love him. And he is taking all of our sinfulness and all of our brokenness. He's taking all that ugly. You know how you wake up in the morning, and when you first look in the mirror, you got a whole lot of ugly on you. You got, you got, you got that, uh, that crust in your eyes. And if you, if, if you was laying on your, your stomach, you got drool down your face and your hair all over the place. You got a whole lot of ugly. But what God is doing, he's restoring you not to a former glory, to, but to a better glory, Jesus Christ. That's his purpose and his plan for you. God wants to transform you and to look like his son, Jesus. That's the greatest project ever. We were stained and diminished by sin. And in order for God to do that work to conform us to the end of, to the image of Jesus Christ, he has a whole lot of stripping. And a whole lot of rebuilding that needs to take place in my life and in your life. And God uses all circumstances and situations to do that stripping. God is using COVID-19 to strip and to rebuild some things. God is using racial strife and injustice to strip and to rebuild some things. God is using protests and, and, and speaking out to strip and to rebuild some things. God is using this uh, economic hardships to strip and to rebuild some things in and through your life. And God is doing this in spite of us and because he loves us. This is the restoration plan that God had for the faithful remnant uh, he preserved in Israel, in the text. God was going to preserve some of those faithful people, the ones who still trusted in him, the ones that he still wanted to use for his glory. He, he, he is preserving them, but he is preparing them for something greater. And in the text, God was going to strip Israel of everything in order to rebuild them for his purpose. God is disciplining Israel because he loves them, because they belong to them, because they have a plan for them. Isn't that one of the indications that we belong to God? Because he says he disciplines those whom he loves. 
if you just buck wild off the hook, just in sin, and God is not disciplining you, God is not convicting you, God is not telling you that uh, you, uh, you, you are in a wrong, uh, uh, you're in a bad place, and you're, you're headed to a, 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 a path that you don't want to go down. If, if God is not dealing with you, then that's an indication you don't belong to him. But he disciplines those he loves. But yet, even in the midst of discipline, God has a, a word of encouragement, a word of hope. And our big idea for this morning is that God's promise of restoration restores the hopes of his people. It is God's promise of restoration that restores their hope. It's not, it's not their circumstance. It's not what their friends say. It's, it's not what's in front of them. It's not any of those things. That their hope comes from God's promise. God begins to reveal this promise to Israel here in verse 11 when he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Uh, God is saying, I'm going to take your brokenness and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix you up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore. I'm going to bring about completion. I'm going to help you out. And, and this is even amazing. This is grace because God, uh, he had every right to leave Israel in their own sin. He had every right to leave Israel to their own devices because Israel, they were a treasonous, law-breaking people. They had went against their covenant. They had went against God. They had uh, turned their back on God. They they. they they didn't care about him whatsoever. God had every, every right to leave them where they are because they forsook that covenant relationship. They were trying to get out the marriage. They were the ones stepping out on God. They were the ones in sin. But even here in verse 11, in that one verse, we have an incredible, an incredible picture of God's faithfulness. In this verse 11, God has given us an incredible reminder of his covenant relationship and what God thinks about covenant. See, we think about covenants. We, when, we, when we think about relationships, we think about them in a contractual form. Because a, a contract says you do your part and I do my part and we be okay. But God says when it comes to a covenant, when it comes to this, this marriage relationship that we're in, it's 100-100. It's, it's even if you don't do your part, I'm still going to do my part. And God revealed that to us in the fact that when he was making a covenant with Abraham, he didn't ask Abraham to sign on the dotted line. He didn't ask Abraham to swear by his name. But God, during that covenant, when he was cutting the covenant with Abraham, he says, I'm going to swear by my own name because I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to disappoint, and I know you're going to doubt, so I'm just going to swear by my own name because there is no other name higher. There is no other name greater. So God swears by his own name in this covenant relationship. And in verse 11, he reminds them that it's because of my name that I'm going to stay in relationship with you. Even though you're trying to get out, I'm going to draw you near, and I'm going to rebuild this relationship. I'm going to do the hard work. And he reminds Israel of his covenant faithfulness by pointing to the booth of David. Now, now, now God is doing a whole lot through Amos and even mentioning the booth of David. But what, what, he's, what he's saying is, and uh, saying the booth of David, we, we may have uh, uh, heard of this before when 
The scriptures talks about the Feast of Booths in the New Testament. And, and what that booth was, it was a, a, a temporary structure, a temporary shelter made of branches that they would put up to commemorate how God protected them as they went through the wilderness days and how that, that journey was temporary. Again, these are temporary shelters to provide covering. So what God is, is saying that, 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 that everything that has fallen, all of the covering that you have lost, I am willing to restore that covering. I am willing to restore that source of protection. But not only is he talking about restoring that source of protection, the fact that he says the booth of David, he is pointing to that Davidic dynasty, the fact that he made a promise to David that there will always be one of your, uh, uh, your heirs, one of your children to sit on the throne of Israel. He, he's saying that I, I will always be with you and I will always have my man sitting on the throne able to lead you, guide you, and direct you. And he says this in the, in the midst of the fact that the, this Davidic dynasty has been fractured and has been broken. The fact that there is a, a northern Israel and southern Judah goes to the fact that because of man's sin and wickedness, their kingdom was split. But not only was their kingdom split and fractured, they, all of their relationships were uh, full of instability. They really couldn't get down with the, uh, their, their, their neighbors in the land because of their sinful practices. And they, they didn't trust one another, Israel and Judah. There was a whole lot of brokenness going on. But God is saying, I'm going to fix that brokenness. And I'm going to restore what's been fractured. And I'm going to cover you and I'm going to keep you. God is making a statement of historical fact right here. The kingdom of Israel, which was supposed to be this strong foundation, this rock in which all the other nations would, would, would look to in order to see the glory of Christ, and, and God was going to use them in a special way. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a historical fact that though they may be economically prosperous, they're spiritually broken. But then God, in this statement, he, this is a statement of how he provides even in their near future. That even though that they were headed for judgment, he says, but I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to repair. I'm going to raise up. And I'm going to rebuild. God is promising Israel, I'm not going to leave you in your mess. Beloved, I don't know about you. I'm so glad that God didn't leave me in my mess. I don't know what your mess was, but ain't you glad that God got you out your mess? The fact that God was able to come to you in your mess. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. He didn't wait for you to get it right. He didn't wait for you to start coming to church. He didn't wait for you to start reading your Bible. He came and got you out of your mess. And that's what he's promising to Israel. I'm going to get you out of your mess, and I'm going to take you and clean you up, and, and I'm going to use you for my purposes. But not only is this a statement that he's going to get them out their mess, but the fact that this is a, uh, this is a, uh, a reaffirming of his promise of an eschatological fulfillment. That one day, the true David would come and rebuild and restore and make all things right. 
and make all things new. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's why we read Isaiah 61, the fact that uh, it is Jesus who came to the lost and the broken. It is Jesus who came down to the poor and the needy. It is Jesus who came to the people who, ha- who weren't the people. It was Jesus who came to restore and to reconcile. It was Jesus who came. And, and what, what God is saying, even in this one statement, the booth of David, he's saying, I haven't forgot my purposes for you, for you, Israel, and I will bring it all to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. What we have taking place is, in, in a way, this is a reversal of the curse of Adam. You know, in the garden, Adam was cursed because of his disobedience to God, and sin enters into creation and brings this, this vertical disruption in their relationship. But not only is this vertical disruption that comes, there's a horizontal disru- disruption where, where Adam and Eve, are they, they beefing with one another. But not only is there a horizontal, there's this, there's this man and creation disruption that comes into play. All because of sin. But God is saying that when I come and when I restore, I'm going to reverse uh, the, the enmity and the, uh, and, and, and the, and the beef that, I, that God has with man. He, I'm going to reverse that. And I'm going to reverse the fact that you can't get along with your brothers and sisters. And I'm going to reverse the fact that the earth is not doing what it's supposed to do. He's saying that I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to restore. This is a reversal of, of fortunes for God's people. And Israel's hope would be restored because God's grace is greater than our sin. Verse 11 is a statement of grace. He's saying, you don't deserve to be rebuilt. You don't deserve to be restored. You don't, you don't deserve to be raised up, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm not going to do it at your expense. I'm not going to charge you building materials. You know how you get a project done on your back? You got to pay for building materials and you got to pay for labor. And he says, I'm not going to charge you to rebuild you. I'm not going to charge you to restore you. I'm not going to line item and deduct uh, the bricks and the mortar and and, and charge you what it costs. But uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not even going to charge you for the labor. I'm going to come down and lay down my own life and I'm going to pay all the penalty for sin and and, and I'm going to die that you may live. That's a word of encouragement from God, that you don't have to pay the cost for your sin, but Jesus already paid the cost. Because his grace is always greater than our sin. But then in verse 12, he reveals something more to us about his promise. Verse 12, he says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. What is he talking about? God's promised restoration would restore a purpose for his people. God planned to to use Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He promised this in Exodus 19th chapter. And what that means is that God specifically set Israel aside to be his people whom he would reveal himself to. And as he revealed himself to this people, they would go and reflect his glory in all of the earth. And then the nations would see Israel and they would want to worship. They would see how good God is. They would see how faithful God was through Israel. And they would want to worship. But over time, Israel began to reject God's purpose for them to be his witnesses. And they entered into uh, 
idolatry and false worship. But the good news that God lays out in this text and the good news that God has for us today is, is he's declaring that in spite of who you are and what you've become, I'm still going to accomplish my purposes through you. Even Israel's sin cannot thwart God's purposes for his people. Think about that for a moment. Think about your everyday life. And even unintentionally, think about all the ways you stand in the way of God's purposes through your life. Think about all those arguments that you have. Think about your language. Think about what you watch. Think about where you go. Just, just, just think about your life for a second. All those ways that you are standing in opposition of God's purposes. But yet, even in spite of your opposition, in spite of your hostility, and, 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 and in spite of my doubt and unbelief at times, God still... He still will use me for his purposes because there's nothing that I can do and there's nothing that you can do to thwart the purposes of God. Because when he says he's going to do something, he means he's going to do something. We can bank on it. We can rely upon him. And God says, I'm going to use you, Israel, to make my name known that many will come and become my people. How do we know? Because he... Because he says that they may possess the remnant of Edom. I don't know if you remember, in verses 1 and 2, as he's talking about judgment, he says, oh, uh, he says multiple times, and, and they would take the people and bring them to Edom. Edom had become a, um, uh, which, which you can call a, a, a personification. Edom had become the embodiment of hostility towards God. So when you said uh, Edom, people would understand that those are people who don't love God, they don't worship God, they hate God, and as a matter of fact, you don't want to go in their hood after dark because if you love God, they may come and get you. So Edom had become this embodiment of hostility, but what does God say about this embodiment of hostility? He says, I'm still going to go get them, and I'm going to build you up in such a way that the glory of what I did in your life is going to be so amazing. They're going to look and say, is that Israel? Is that the folks that used to worship with us? Is that the folks that used to club with us? Is that the folks that used to drink with us? Is those the folks that used to smoke with us? Is those the folks that used to get down with us? But look at them now. They're completely different than how they used to be. And God's glory is going to shine so much after he rebuilds them that now he's going to put his name on those very people. Beloved, I pray that's your story, that God's glory has so much invaded and permeated your life that they look at where you came from and see where you are right now and say, there must be a God because I know how you used to be and I know what you used to look like and I know how you used to get down, but God has done such a work in your life. I can't help but glorify him because there must be a God for you to be acting this way. That's how God wants to, he wants to use Israel. And he said, Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stamp my name. I, it's going to be signed, sealed, delivered that they belong to me. 
this is, a, this is a, an amazing truth. The very people who were the embodiment of hostility and hated God, he says, I still can overcome their sin by my grace. And he does. So what God is promising right here, this is a restoration of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Isn't that what he told Adam and Eve to do in the garden, to be fruitful and multiply? What does he mean? Not just to have babies to have babies, not to just cultivate to cultivate. What he's saying that they would disciple and train their, their children in such a way that they would love Jesus too. And then, and then as, they, as they had more and more children, as the earth was populated, the glory of God would begin to spread over all of creation, and they would be fruitful and multiply. So this is what God commanded Israel to do, basically. Be my witness that when they see you, they will love me. And now... When God rebuilds them, Israel is able to go out and be fruitful and multiply because of what God is doing. Not because of what they did, not because of what they chose, but because God just says, I'm going to do it. I'm so glad of scripture verses like Philippians 1 and 6. That, that, that is a, such a source of encouragement, especially in days like this, where God says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That means if God called you, if he touched you, if he, draw, if he drew you to himself, he's saying he ain't, he ain't done with you. He's going to finish what he started. God, God doesn't start it. You know how we do? We start a project, and if it get hard, we kind of leave it behind, and we come to it later. God is saying, I don't care how big of a project your life is, and and once I start with you, I'm going to finish cleaning you up. I'm going to finish turning you around. I'm going to finish bringing you to the point where you look like my son because you will be conformed in the image of his glory. I'm going to finish what I started. But then lastly, in verses 13 through 15, we see another truth. That God's promised restoration would restore place. So not only a people, not only a purpose, but also a place. And in verses 13 through 15, we see that uh, the restoration of his people and their purposes would bring about a restoration of another kind. Again, think, about, think back to the book of Genesis with me. When Adam and Eve fall into sin, like everything is disrupted. Their relationship with God, their relationship with one another, and their relationship with creation. So when God rebuilds these people, he rebuilds their purpose, then he's going to do something even in creation. And, and, and when God was promising Israel the promised land, he, he said that they would be entering into a land flowing with milk and honey. He is, he is using that, that, that symbolically to say that you're going to go into a land, uh, a land that has so much uh, abundance. It, it has so much plenty that it's going to be such a blessing to you. And you're, you're going to have homes you didn't even build. You're going to be able to uh, partake from gardens that you didn't even plant. That the land is, is flowing with milk and honey. However, at this point in time, there's been famine. There's been pestilence. There's been uh, uh, so much tragedy. There's been war in the land because of Israel's sin. And God is saying, once I get you right, then everything is going to fall into place. In spite of who they are, God is going to do something amazing. In verse 13, what, when, when he talks about when the plowman should overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. What he's saying, he's using agricultural terms to say that, that when you go, you, you're, going to, you're going to plant your seeds. And there's going to be so much harvest that when the reaper goes to 
to collect that harvest, it's going to be so much that it's going to take you so much time to do it that, that when it comes around time to plant some more seed for the harvest, they still going to be working because it was so much that came up. And he's saying for, the, for, the, for, the, for, for your vineyards, he's saying when they bring in the grapes and they give, give it to the people to stomp the grapes, to crush the grapes, to wine, he's saying there's going to be so many grapes that, that from the point of the, when they bring in the harvest, they're still going to be stomping, and, and then the time is going to come for them to sow some more, and they're going to be like, we're still working. God is saying there's going to be so much abundance and, and, and blessing because I'm restoring you. There's going to be abundance in the land. But then in verse 14, he says there's going to be satisfaction in the land. Because they, uh, their cities that were ruined, they're going to be able to inhabit them. They're going to have shelter. They're going to have drink. And they're going to have food. Every, sing, every single thing they need for, to be satisfied, God is saying, I'm going to give you that. And then lastly, he says, I'm going to give you security. Because he says, I would never again uproot you out of the land. War and adversity had continually come to Israel. But God is saying, I'm going to rescue you out of that. God is giving the promise of shalom. He's the great promise keeper. And what this is, this is a a reversal of the curse of creation as he restores Eden for these people. So Israel's hope would be restored because of God's perfect provision of rest. Beloved, even as we look at this text this morning, one of the things we want to think about in our own hearts, as God gives this promise to his people for hope, are the promises of God your source of hope? Does the word of God actually bring you so much encouragement that you can have hope? Or do you wait on your situation in order for you to have hope? Do you wait on your check clearing in the bank before you have hope? Do you wait on getting that job? Do you wait on your relationships being right before you have hope? God is saying, don't let people, places, or things be your hope. You allow my promises to be your hope. Are the promises of God your source of hope? But then secondly, what I want you to think about is what areas of your life are in desperate need of restoration? Beloved, there's areas in your life and in my life that God that God needs to do some restoring. He needs to do some transforming because we've, we've allowed uh, uh, parts of our lives to become dilapidated, filled with sin. And he's saying, I want to restore you. What areas of your own life do you need to surrender to him today? God's kindness, his compassion, and his grace towards Israel is in spite of. God was the one restoring God was the one rebuilding and blessing and providing. And in the same way, God's kindness, compassion, and grace and mercy towards us today is in spite of. God is the one restoring. God is the one rebuilding, blessing, and providing. And he has done all of this in the promised hope of Jesus the Christ. Because it's in Jesus that we are a people restored, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're restored because of Jesus. But then also in Jesus, we are a people of purpose. You got purpose. 
And you know how uh, people go around, they try to figure out, well, what's my purpose in life? If, if, you, if you're in Christ, you got a purpose. And he reveals his purpose in Matthew 28, 19, uh, 19 and 20, where he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things I have revealed to you. And, and, and behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. We got our marching orders. We have purpose. But then it's also in Jesus that we are a people with a place. Does not Jesus say in John, the 14th chapter, verses 1 and 2, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, uh, uh, are many rooms. If, if it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So we, got, we are a people restored. We are a people with a purpose, and we are a people with a place. God is saying, I got you. In spite of all the brokenness and judgment, I got you. Jesus is the promised hope, the reversal of judgment because of the curse of sin. And it is in Christ Jesus where wrath is turned into mercy. Call upon Jesus to have mercy upon you today through repentance and faith. And allow God's promise of restoration to restore your soul today. Father, thank you for your word and the promises you have given us to stand upon. And Father, your word declares after doing all that we have done to stand. Stand, therefore, to help us to get up, dear God. Help us to trust in you and to fulfill our calling, to fulfill the purposes that you have already given and have brought about because of Christ Jesus. Lord, we bless you and thank you for such a great hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.